Welcome back to Just Upstage of Downtown, the Music Mountain Theater podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Lavery. The concept of Pride Month in the U.S. and now beyond began with a series of marches in June 1970, a year after the Stonewall Riots in New York City that began 54 years ago this week, June 28, 1969. The community surrounding Music Mountain Theater celebrated Pride this year with a parade in New Hope in late May, in which many MMT personalities of different ages and generations participated, and special events in the area have continued all this month. Similarly, we have on this latest episode of Just Upstage of Downtown a cross-section of Music Mountain Theater veterans, co-artistic directors Louis Polina and Jordan Brennan, reviewer, occasional performer, and friend of the theater John Dwyer, and three members of the cast of MMT's current production of Spring Awakening, Bill Weir, who recently retired from a 35-year teaching career in Bucks County, and Olivia Frankenbach and Grace Policelli, who not only are frequent performers on the Lambertville stage as adults, but grew up in the MMT and Downtown Performing Arts Center Children's Theater program. Together, these individuals who MMT audiences have come to know for their talents and dedication will share their coming out stories in different eras and different ages, and how they leaned on their theater families, by and large, to embrace them. We also discuss how professional theater can lead the way in recognizing and elevating non-binary performers and if theater is changing the conventions of the way its pieces are written to allow for more gender fluidity. This conversation is funny, insightful, courageous, and intensely emotional. Please join us just upstage of downtown for Pride Month. I didn't start in theater until I was a junior in high school. I certainly was not out in high school. Now this is, you know, 90, I guess if I was a junior, 92. Mm-hmm. So being out was not really a thing in 1992, yeah. which is different today, which is great. So I found theater and suddenly went from being um, someone who was pretty much overlooked in high school, mostly by my own fault, because I didn't make an effort to reach out and be a part of any other group. So I found theater, and then that's when I felt like I found my kind of people. And that has nothing to do with sexuality, but just we had a lot of similar interests. We had a similar you know, sense of humor. We just understood one another. That as I went on from high school to work semi-professionally, professionally, that's where the sexuality part comes more into play for me. I had an interesting experience in my first professional job where I was in a show with someone that I went to high school with and so I was on the cusp of coming out at this point and I had accepted the fact that I was gay and I I knew that I was gay at that point but because the person that I went to high school with was still in the high school I had that weird tie back to that world and this new world that I was kind of figuring out for myself so that, that was interesting for me because I had some people in the cast that I was working with who, y- you know how casts are, there's lots of chatter behind the scenes. No matter what? where you're doing theater, no matter if the cast is two people or 200 people, there's always background chatter. So, you know, I was 19 and they were all talking well you know you're gay right and I was like first of all what business is it of yours first of all second of all yes but (laughs) here are my reasons and they backed off after that but I always slightly resented the fact that 
it wasn't just addressed with me directly until the one person decided to come and and talk to me about it. Not that it had to be addressed or anything, but if you're going to talk about it, just talk to me about it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But then ever since then, once I kind of worked through that for myself, it was kind of just known and accepted that people that identify as not heterosexual mm. are just it's okay here like it doesn't matter yeah um and and for so many other walks of life it does play a role which is absurd to me still in this day and age but yeah you know i want to say something kind of off of that time frame which was about when and it's something i haven't talked about in the many episodes of this podcast so far when i was in beauty and the beast and i became because there were two children in a cast of all adults um you know you were exposed to all different kinds of people and their personal lives and things like that and so and you became close even as a child to certain people in the cast and one of the ensemble men and i were buddies we hung out all the time he is gay and he said to me one night and this is my parents mostly retelling the story because i don't remember it it's one of those things as a child that slips out of your mouth and then you're like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed, I'm going to forget this forever. <laughs> um, so he says, well, we should get dinner between shows. It'll be a date. And apparently I said, but we're two boys, so would that make it a gay date? <laughs> and this man went to my parents and was like, I am so sorry for uh, exposing him to this world. And my parents, to their credit, were like... <laughs> Whatever, like yeah. it, to your point, just talk to me about it. Right. Yeah, that is an interesting point that that you raised, Lewis. Is that because cast of shows talk? Because if you're in a theatrical company for any amount of time, everybody kind of knows your business. Is it? I guess is it easier to come out in an environment like you know being in a theater or being in productions rather than more broadly in your, you know, in your personal life. I don't want to certainly take over the conversation. For yeah. me personally, I had to get to a certain place in yeah. my life that I was comfortable regardless of who it was mm -hmm. to. But certainly knowing that it doesn't matter with a certain group of people does take a load off because you, no matter how secure you are, no matter how, regardless of the time that you go through, whatever your personal coming out story is, there's always a bit of self-doubt as to, with those that are closest to you, your family, there's always a little tinge of. Well, and I guess if I can add into that, the, the idea of, of not being out for me until after high school, I had to come out not only to my family, but to my closest friends that I was still close with after high school, whereas my friends that I met in college, I didn't have to come out to because it's who I was at that time and still am. So I didn't, I, I met them in college and hi, I'm Jordan and I, I like boys. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was it. There was no like, oh, by the way, I've liked boys my whole life and you maybe knew that, maybe you didn't know that, maybe you guessed that, maybe we talked about it, maybe we didn't talk about it, maybe it makes sense now. You know, I, I those like, I don't know, nerve-wracking moments that you think back to of telling your, your best friends from high school yeah. that you 
you relate to them too because you yeah. wanted to date the football players. Or whatever. <laughs> it, is, it, it is funny in, in that regard, right? It, if you've gone to if you've gone away to college, you kind of do have that opportunity to reset yourself start, as who you think fresh. you are. Yeah, yeah. And it, again, it's not becoming someone new per se, but it's just being open with who you are mm -hmm. at first meeting. Yes, if that makes sense. Um, I I can totally uh, like that makes so much sense yeah. because as someone who grew up in a very religious family, I did not. Really, like I knew what gay people were, but like I didn't really know anything else. So when, like, after high school and when I went, and I went to school in the city. I really like knew. I like found out what everything was, and I really, like, that was when I really was like, hey, I don't think I'm, you know, straight, or I don't think, like, I just don't know how I feel. I know I'm different, mm -hmm. and then once I found out what being non-binary was, I, that really just kind of like clicked and I was like, wow, that is really how I view myself, how I feel about myself. And just like, so everyone's journey is different. Some people will know that they're in the community when they're in middle school. Some people don't know until, you know, their 20s. <clears throat> Everyone everyone's journey is truly different, and I actually find that really beautiful. It's a kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because to kind of go off something that you said, we don't necessarily want to define ourselves by labels, but sometimes we don't know what we are until we hear it labeled. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting to me. And it's somewhat generational. I mean, mm -hmm. what Lewis was saying about, about 92, I've got 10 years on you, because high school for me was 1980 to 83, and I was a late bloomer to the whole thing. I didn't figure it out myself until college. But I was also in that point where in the mid-80s or so with the AIDS crisis, mm -hmm. there was this whole fear. And growing up in that, there was this whole fear of pushing it away. And I don't want that. And I didn't get to reinvent in college because it still had to be very closeted. I was at a fraternity for four years. And I didn't come to, to theater until I was 35. But what I did, I mean, I've been teaching it, but I yeah. haven't done it. I was never on stage when I was 35. Thank you, Michael Mola. <laughs> um, when I did, it was one of the very few places that was unspokenly safe. It was just your tribe. You knew right away, these were your people. And I wasn't out publicly because I was in education. And in Pennsylvania, you can still be fired for being gay. That's just mm. the way it is. Having just left that weeks ago, um, <laughs> I'm still taking those boundaries down a little bit. But always, when I came to that first show, it was your type of people. Even though you didn't necessarily talk about it with everybody yet, it wasn't a big deal. It yeah. was just, these are all people that like to sing and dance and do this, and we have a good time together, and nobody really cared. And having to be very guarded at the early part of most of my career about that, because all it would take would be one crazy parent and that would be the end of a career. As it progressed, I never in a million years, and I'm sure you could identify with this, John, in a million years would have thought in my lifetime that I would be married, that I would have the faculty in both of my buildings throw us wedding showers mm -hmm. in school. I never thought in a million years that was gonna happen and my husband would say the same thing. And he grew up in theater too. But it's always been a safe place. It's always been your tribe. And no matter what the variation might be, when you come in that door, you just exhale. Right. Because if you've got to live with any kind of barriers in your outside life, 
once you commit. It was like the first time I went to Provincetown. Mm. It takes you about a day or two, and then you just go, oh, you can let go of all of that. You can walk hand in hand down the street. And when you come in the doors of a place like this, you just exhale because this is your tribe. John, I think that kind of segues naturally to you. Being older than dirt. (laughs) (laughs) Would, would Would you be willing to talk about, you know, New York in the 1980s in the AIDS crisis? I was in high school from 1966 (laughs) to 1970. And I never had a problem. My my first encounter of being gay, uh, I was very young. It was even before I reached puberty. I I had it with a friend who was like 16 and I was 12. And uh, I never had a problem with the idea of being gay. Now some people do. Some people go, oh, what's wrong with me? I should be, you know, I should be straight, and that's what normal is. And at that time, the American Psychiatric Association was saying that being gay was an illness, and that wasn't uh, that didn't wasn't overturned until like the early '70s. And I went to the library, being the nerd that I was, <laughs> and so I went, I've got to look me myself up. I went, well, that's bullshit. And so I felt, because I'm very independent-minded, and I felt that I was right, that I was morally right. Mm -hmm. And I I thought, uh, and I was so lucky because uh, the love that dare not speak its name was never spoken about in in high school or anything. I mean, nobody said fag because nobody knew, nobody had the idea. uh, I went to a Catholic school, and then my nun, my nun who taught biology, Sister Cecilia, who was older than a than a Micronesian tortoise, she <laughs> she said, "All right, he, we're going to be learning all this," and then we got to reproduction, and she didn't want to talk about it, and she said, um, "We're going to skip this chapter, and nobody's going to be tested, and, uh, and unless you want to read about it." Now, as a kid, you're not going to read about anything <laughs> extra, and so we just skipped it. And I thought, well, if we're skipping, you know, regular reproduction. I'm off, I mean, what I'm doing, I'm ordering off the menu. (laughs) I'm ordering a la carte here. So I'm, I'm, okay, mine must be really bad, or at least people think so, but I didn't think God disliked me, and I thought that I was right, but I knew that other people would judge me, and that's what made me paranoid. And my first theater experience was in high school. There was this Genesis thing, of course, mm-hmm. the nuns were doing. I played Cain. Mm-hmm. And I went, hey, bully, hit him with a rock in the nose. Wow, that was powerful. And so <laughs> I, I thought, well, this is my place. And so uh, then I went to college, and then I didn't declare a major until uh, you know um, my sophomore year. But I went to, and again, you think this is your home. And everybody, everyone in the theater community, it just seems so natural. And I went to my first gay bar, which was called uh, Gagans, G-A-G-E-N-S, and it was named after Frank Gagan. And I saw all of these people, and I thought they were so sophisticated because they were all dancing really close to each other, and they were so <laughs> close with their drinks in their hand. If you ever saw the thing, like in Promises, Promises, where everyone's going like this, uh, you know, just kind of jumping up and down, to, or, you know, they're just in one spot together. And I thought, damn, this is sophisticated. And the drag queen got on top of a, of a bar counter and started kicking off drinks. And I thought, oh my God, what the hell is this? And then, um, I didn't really come out to, I mean, I was coming out was kind of like a gradual thing to my friends, like everybody knew each other was gay, but at that point in time we didn't talk about it. And I would stay out all night and everybody would wonder where I went and I went to the club baths. I had a very promiscuous life uh, during the 70s. I met my husband in 85. I, I would be dead probably now. And I realized that if I had stayed in New York 
and I didn't. I went uh, from 1975 to 1980. I lived in New York City, and then my my mother, she passed away, and so I went home. It was 1980, and I went back to Michigan. And I had some, um, this guy who was, we were like gonna live together, and possibly he would have been my boyfriend, but I went back to see him. He passed away from AIDS. And uh, I went to, in 1982, to see him, and at that time it was called SIDS. And he was in a bathrobe, and he said he wasn't feeling well, and uh, the AIDS thing was just coming out. Nobody was talking about it. I didn't think it was real, because it wasn't being put into the major papers. And I thought, if it's not in the major papers, how can this be real? Because people would care about me. They would care about us as a gay community. But no, 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 no. It wasn't in the major papers. I've, I found out about SIDS through like the Advocate and through the gay newspapers. And they were saying something was happening in my community. And he was sick. And then the, eventually it got into the New York Times. But it was being buried in the Times. It was being put onto like the, the back pages of, of the front section. And nobody cared about us, it seemed. And so I saw him the last time. As I left, they were playing. I don't know, maybe it was Judy Garland singing this, which is so apropos, right? <laughs> uh, singing, gee, how I wish again I was in Michigan back on the farm. And, <laughs> and then I left, and I, I, I didn't see him again because he passed away. I came back in um, 1985 uh, from Michigan because I was in Jackson, Michigan. I, husband choices are very limited <laughs> yeah. in Jackson, Michigan. So I, I went back and I met her. Uh, and then got involved with an awful lot of different AIDS organizations yeah. and whatnot, and did gay, uh, uh, did marches. Now, I was always in gay pride when I lived in the city from 1985 to 1992, and uh, marched often. Uh, I was part of the gay health crisis, marched a lot with ACT UP. Um, and so I did that uh, to, for my community. I think you said something that um, I think resonates with, with everyone here, and I, I love that we do have a good spread of kind of generations to talk about like how this has happened. And, and Olivia, I, I want to have you know your thoughts obviously as well. Um, but John, you said something. Someone should care about me. And you know, yes, it's great that there is a month, the whole month of June, you know, dedicated to pride in all of its forms. But we are now moving into I hope, I think, I mean, I see it at least in this area of the world, of the country, um, a place where, you know, that's celebrated all the time. Um, and it's like, you know, you shouldn't have just a day for something. You shouldn't have just a month for something. I definitely, um, this conversation is making me realize, I think theater has played a much larger role in my queerness than I thought because... I've been doing shows since I was a little baby, since I was like seven, and I came out, ugh, it's cringe kind of to think about, I came out when I was 14 on an Instagram post. <laughs> Very Gen Z. Yeah, like it was just like a black screen, I wrote a whole paragraph just like kind of talking about like gay rights and then ending it with like, because you know, I'm I'm bisexual, like I, I'm this too, and um, it's very silly to look back on. I was so young, but I felt very, um, I didn't feel like scared posting that, being very young. Um, and I think part of that is because I surrounded myself with such good people um, here and just in theater in general. Like I 
and also probably that has to do with you know the times and like it's it's a different generation I definitely grew up in a more accepting time which I'm eternally grateful for and I just feel like theater has brought me a lot of um, the really important connections in my life specifically at school uh, like the theater department pretty much the only people I see and it's it's very queer space and it's a very inviting space and even on campus like I go I go to Rowan University like outside of our little bubble it's still scary like there's still incidents and stuff like that that like it's not as safe as it always necessarily feels um, especially with like recent legislation in this country um, we are in a very accepting space but as time goes on that's becoming more of kind of like a bubble that like outside of it yeah not great things are happening I feel. Liv and I are kind of around the same age yes. so um, <laughs> with certain people kind of like growing up like in high school I realized that I wasn't straight so I had to kind of like see because with our generation a lot of us are open and accepting but there are a few that are you know not uh so sometimes you kind of have to like walk on eggshells to like see like who you know like do i feel comfortable like being myself around or like who do i have to hide in front of mm -hmm. it's hard but of course you like find your people well that's where theater is so important to so many of us that have found a place here that love to do what we do that it's just such a bonus that it is a congregation of people that you can have very very straight people and very, very gay people in every stripe in between, <laughs> yeah. but they mesh over a common bond. Yeah. And part of that bond isn't just the performing, part of that bond is the acceptance. Right. Um, I've been in shows where I was the only, I was the only gay person <laughs> and said, it's, it's out there. And that wouldn't be the normal stereotype people would think of, but yeah. then theater has that opportunity to maybe bring that to people in a subtle way. The show we're doing right now has a same-sex makeout scene in it. There are people in that audience who probably have never had an exposure to that before. And if that's their first opportunity in a well-performed, well-directed show, that's an opportunity to make a little inroad. Yeah. That can uh, make a difference. Kind of, uh, to Olivia's point about it is a bubble, but I, I think there's a point to be made for theater and the arts and the people that we meet in this community serving a larger purpose possibly to expand that bubble. I don't know why theater seemed like a good place for me, but it did, and maybe it was, because I knew the art of it is to put yourself into someone else's shoes. And I thought, oh God, please just let people know what it's like to be me, because nobody seems to understand me, you know, or at least that's what I think. And so if you were able to put yourself in my shoes, like in theater, I'm gonna try and put myself in yours. I'm going to be Big Daddy and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof <laughs> and talk about mendacity yeah. and talk about brick. And, you know, I'm going to be this guy. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to transform myself into the straight guy. I'm going to tra transform myself into this. I'm going to transform myself into that. Yeah. Can't you transform yourself to see where I am? And maybe there was something inside of me that said that theater does that. The movies do that. I, I think a lot of gay... Um, the inroads in the culture have been made 
by theater and by movies and by television shows. Mm -hmm. They've been made by seeing boys in the band. I don't know why mm -hmm. in 1960 something or other, I got the double album set of boys in the band, the written word. <laughs> I didn't know why, but I said, this must be my people. I think it is. I don't know why. I'll say one, our father and I told Mary so we get an active contrition on it, but I am buying that album out of, out of Fields record store. I think theater somehow seemed like my place. And then when I went to a college, you know, it was just kind of like an awful lot of other gay people's ways. Intuitively, I think there was like, like something uh, inside of us. Like, uh, if you're Jewish and you want to go to the Promised Land, if you're you're a gay person, you will go. I'm going to go to the theater and I'm going to go to New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, it was it. It's funny you talk about theater gives us an opportunity to step into somebody else's shoes. Um, I think back to last year doing the producers here yeah. as a cisgender, heterosexual man. Carmen Gia was the first gay character in almost 30 years of theater I'd ever played. And so I was thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And then I'm like, you're thinking about it too much. Right. He and Roger love each other, and that is their relationship. And they are, right. like Aja Fall, we are who we are. Mm -hmm. And right. that is all you need to know to play this character. I think it's so interesting because hearing you say that, I, I think in order, just inherently, anyone who's acting, whether it's in the ensemble or in the role where everything's kind of spelled out for you, you have to have like some, some level of empathy, right? You have to try and figure out why that character is behaving the way they are, why they're behaving the way they're written to behave, why they're reacting to something that another uh, scene partner is saying. And I think you brought up the fact that you being straight and playing a gay character, there's been so much in the world recently about how, like I'll use Brokeback Mountain, for example. Both of those men are identify as straight men and they played those roles and some people get very up in arms about it and I understand that to a certain extent. My personal feeling is good for them good for them for trying to understand what it has been like for those of us who can't just walk down the street and kiss the person that we love. To me, that shows someone who is embracing and trying to, to have some sort of connection to those people that have been marginalized. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying cultural appropriation is correct in any way shape or form but I do think when it's a question of sexuality I don't know I maybe my opinion is different maybe it's controversial to say but I, I think it's a great tool to grow as a person to try and fully understand a life that is one other than yours mm. it's like Will Rogers right never met a man I didn't like mm -hmm. You have to try and understand people. It's just so important. And, and I think when like things like casting, like you said, they're just two people in love. It doesn't matter that they're both right. men, those characters. I mean, they're kooky characters because yeah. <laughs> it's a very broad comedy. Right. But at the core, they're yeah. just kooky yeah. in the same way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they, they give each other COVID sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. sometimes they do well, that. One of the things I think that was kind of threatening, though, in Brokeback Mountain, it was two guys 
who really looked like straight guys. Mm-hmm. And it, when, when they did La Cage aux Faux, the French version, and they did Birdcage, I don't think that was threatening to the straight community because they went, oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. what gay people are like, and they're not us. But then they see, see it, and it's like straight people. But because this, I mean, what we're really talking about is really just what goes on in our bedrooms and not how we present necessarily. Correct. And yeah. so when they see something that's like them, then it's like, oh, that might make, that might make me gay or have right. a little gayness in me yeah. or maybe my neighbor does who I feel uncomfortable about and there was a much more a lot more pushback on Brokeback Mountain than there was on Birdcage. Well and and talking about taking things out of the bedroom Grace I, I want to get to what you wanted to talk about and certainly I, I want to hear your thoughts on it um, you know how the theater community um, is treating especially in its award presentations non-binary performers it's um you know it's something that are we going to get to a place where it is just outstanding performer rather than actor or actress you know it are we are we getting to a point where those things aren't necessarily going to to be gendered i I know you have some thoughts yeah um i mean i personally don't mind like i guess categories that are gendered Mm -hmm. um because like there can be like the you know outstanding actress in a play and like actor but there could also be like another little side category that's just you know best performance in a play or just like something like that that kind of is like inclusive to everyone Mm -hmm. because I feel it's not that I feel bad but in like the recent Tonys there were two non-binary actors in male categories right who won um claps for them but uh I feel like because I don't I don't know their name, but in Anne Juliet, there there's the yeah. the mm-hmm. actor who is non-binary who plays and May, you, May yeah. who plays May, that didn't want to be nominated for any Tonys because they didn't feel that they fit in either category. Mm-hmm. So just like I feel mm-hmm. like adding just one little you know extra category in there would be just kind of a little bit better. Well, if, I can, if I can add on to that, Grace, I yeah. feel like it's. Um, this year's with the Tony specifically, May is written to be a non-binary character. And the character that Alex Newell won for mm-hmm. is written to be a woman? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And huh. who is the other winner? Jay Harrison. Jay Harrison. One for a character who identifies as a man. But then by the end of this story, no spoilers, <laughs> with the, with the, identifies as, as, as non-binary or, or just identifies as someone who enjoys dressing as who, whatever they feel like dressing as that day. So I feel like it's something that I wanted to talk about when Patrick first brought this up, is that the text, the, the plays, the musicals, the stories, as long as they keep evolving, I feel like the categories will evolve. Right. Whereas I feel like if you're doing only plays and musicals from the 1950s and 60s, there are there's only two genders back yeah. then. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I feel like this year specifically, they probably could have had a category for non-binary performers. Yeah. But is that only this year? What about next year? I don't know. Yeah. What about the year that, after that? That's a way, a place in which theater leads the way, because Hollywood is still very much grappling with that whole well, why aren't you giving more employment to gay identifying actors in a gay role and you should do that. 
in theater, it's not so much of a question. It's getting the right person in the role. It doesn't right. really matter if they're gay or straight or, or non-binary or trans or whatever. So I think the Tonys are probably going to be the one that leads the way on that way before the Oscars or the Emmys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we'll probably show it successfully, and then the others will follow. Because in theater, it doesn't strike me. You guys do a lot more casting, of course, but it's not so much of a, a deal. Whereas in the Hollywood casting office, it very much still is. That'll go away someday, but who knows when. When I saw Alex Newell, I, I heard, I'm independently, oh, no, who the hell is this? Who is this woman? And I thought it was a woman. And then I saw the Tonys, and uh, I, I mean, maybe I wasn't paying attention so much, and I thought, oh, there's, here's this woman, and she's in Best Supporting Act. Oh, there just must be this thing of this is the Best Supporting Actor, and a woman can be in the role. What? Okay. All right. I kind of get it, but I don't know. This is kind of different. Well, they're leading the way. And they went, oh, oh, oh. But amazing. What an amazing mm -hmm. performance. But snaps to the Tonys. Yes. <laughs> because on broadcast television. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, I do think, Grace, I think that it will, I, I hope it will keep evolving. Yeah, I, I do have to say, even though the LGBT community, or like just gay people in general, seems so welcoming, there are a few that are mm -hmm. very transphobic. Like, mm -hmm. I have come in contact with gay people who have said like you need to pick a gender and like yeah. it's crazy that there are some people in the community that aren't as accepting as you would hope. It's embarrassing a little bit. I'm yeah. the last year of the baby boomers technically. I was born in <laughs> 64 that the older crowd who went through hell you know and got derided in high school and there was a lot of that survived that and had to cling to each other now has the most faction part that's not accepting of you know newer divisions and, and that's really embarrassing to me partly I think because I hang out with younger people a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know there's you would think anybody who went through what everybody did in my generation and, and older yeah. would be more accepting of that because we got marginalized so hard that and the you know, we've seen how far it's gone. You would think that we'd be a little more accepting. But. I think it's it's kind of become a catchphrase, like ask me about my pronouns. But there is a conversation to be had, right? About you know, whose responsibility is it? Is it is it someone's responsibility to know about you know these are all the different things you know a person can be and feel and feel that they are, or is it more the LGBTQ community saying this is who we are and you know we will educate you but you have to do also some of the work on your own I have witnessed just being in a dressing room I have witnessed being in a cast with Grace mm -hmm. and someone who is of a different generation than I speaking very frankly with Grace and saying I just want to understand and I will try, but I might make a mistake. I may call you the wrong gender. And Grace is of the school, which is much appreciated, that Grace says, as long as you're trying, that's all I'm asking you to do. Yeah. It's okay if you make a mistake. And I don't mean to speak for you but if you want to no, elaborate no, you, on that. What you're saying is absolutely correct. 
it's because you know truthfully for me I'm not as young as I once was <laughs> but you know that that's the point I think as long as you try I think there's a misconception between the word acceptance and understanding it's not for me to understand what grace is going through but I can accept her and I can li- them, them right. and I can listen to them because it's a similar experience that I have had. I have been marginalized for something that is different. So who the hell am I to say you're wrong? I mean, it's so hypocritical. Mm-hmm. It's something I will never understand. Um, so if you want to elaborate, please. Um, it's your story. I mean, like, you, you kind of just took all the words out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, no, but like, yeah, whatever, everything that you said, I completely agree with. It's yeah. just about being kind. Yes. There's, there's so much hate that if you're going in with good intentions uh, to be kind to the people in your life, uh, that's, that's all that is that, needed and wanted. That's one of the things that I think is true. I might not understand things. I might not understand my Republican, Trump-loving <laughs> cousin who I love so much. I mean, I might not totally, but she's a good person. I know she is. She just doesn't understand where I'm coming from, and I have to talk to her more, and we both are kind to each other. She loves me so much. She does, but she votes for Trump, and she votes, she votes her pocketbook because she has, they're a family that has money. She's, she's kind of like born-again Catholic, but she wouldn't call herself born-again. But, but I love her so much. And that's what we all need. We, just, we can't expect people just to embrace everything that we are and love, but we can't expect them to be nice and kind and let us just be, and I let them be. Lo- lo- love me. I'll love you. You know, basically that. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. That's just kind of yeah. how you have to be. Kindness is underrated. It's, it's, it's the most attractive quality that a human being can have. I cannot thank Lewis, Jordan, John, Bill, Grace, and Olivia enough for their willingness to be candid and their gentle steering of this discussion. And I want to also extend a special thank you to those we contacted for this episode but who were unable to attend this recording. We plan to follow up and bring you more conversations like these with more members of the community in the future. MMT's productions of Spring Awakening and Hedwig and the Angry Inch are running now through the weekend ending July 9th. Go to musicmountaintheater.org or check out MMT's social media accounts for more information. I'm Patrick Lavery, and you've been listening to Just Upstage of Downtown, the Music Mountain Theater podcast. To be continued.